uh, don't lose heart. So here's what's going to happen today in these few minutes. Um, the reality is, is my prayer is this, that God in some way will speak to you and that in some way God will convict you that not condemn you, Con- condemnations of the enemy, conviction is from God. Conviction, I believe, is the love of God, God's love, initiated by the Holy Spirit to identify something in my life that God wants to change, get better, to improve on, to become a better follower of Christ Jesus. So I'm praying, God, we need conviction in the house, and it's already here. And the realization as God speaks to our hearts, then I'm praying that the needle of your spiritual man will just get in that good area just a little bit more. You'll get just a little closer to God. You'll make just a few tweaks. And then for some of you, this service is going to be a life changer. You're going to give your heart to Jesus Christ. You're going to make an eternal commitment that's going to take you all the way to heaven, and that's where you're going to be forever, but you won't get there by accident. You get there by confessing your sins and asking Jesus Christ to come into your life, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And then from that moment, all things become new and all things just seem to pass away. Let me give you two uh, phrases, unavoidable defects. Say that with me, unavoidable defects. Let's say it again, some of you slow learners. Here we go, unavoidable defects. And then here's another, zero defect mentality. Let's say that, zero defect mentality. Well, the unavoidable defects is something that the FDA, I preached this message in the first service And I had a man that came up to me who is an expert as it relates to the FDA, food control and food content, et cetera. He came up to me, he said, Pastor, you just touch, you just touch the surface of that. But anyway, FDA, Food and Drug Administration, refer that as it relates to unavoidable defects to food contamination. Food contamination. So I thought I'd share a couple things for you. For example, um, in pizza sauce. Pizza sauce in general, according to FDA, that there are 30 fly eggs per 3.5 ounces of your average store-bought pizza sauce. Makes you want to go for one right now, doesn't it? So how, how do you do that? Well, if you look at the processing of pizza sauce, you would come to understand. They say that it cannot be perfect. So here's what we're going to allow. We're going to check it. And FDA, 30 fly eggs per 100 grams of 3.5 ounces of pizza sauce. Here's something else, chocolate. In every 3.5 ounces, the government allows 60 insect parts in your chocolate. So go have a Hershey. Go ahead and have one. Mr. Good Bar. Get you one. Potato chips. How many like potato chips? May I see your hand? Potato chips. Here's what it says. The government allows FDA... 6% of the chips in the average bag to be rotten. So when you look at one of those discolored chips and you think, boy, they overcooked that one, that's because it was rotten when it was cooked. (laughs) But they allow 6%, 6% of the chips. If it's 7%, those chips can't go up, but 6%, get that now, 6% in a bag of the chips that are rotten. How about peanut butter? You like peanut butter? I read when I just did the discovery, it was on peanut butter and jelly, but I couldn't stomach the jelly one, so I'm not sharing that with you. <laughs> 3.5 ounces of peanut butter, here's what the government allows. 0.00088 ounces, or 25 milligrams, of dirt in peanut butter. 30 insect fragments, 
and two rodent hairs, just little ones, just little ones, in, uh, in your peanut butter. Makes you want to go out and have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, doesn't it? Well, that's what they say. This cannot be perfect. It's called unavoidable defects in the processing you know, to get that pizza sauce, the tomatoes from out in the field, etc., and all the processes, unavoidable defects. Well, here's something. Uh, here we go with the next one. The U.S. government said the fastest way to kill motivation is what the U.S. Army calls having a zero-defect mentality. This will be good, Coach. Zero-defect mentality. He says zero-defect mentality is an atmosphere that tolerates absolutely no mistakes. In other words, you are going to be perfect. You're going to be perfect in your size, in your body size, in your muscle tone. You're going to be perfect with the right number of head and hairs in your head. You're going to be perfect. You're going to make straight A's. You're going to go beyond. You are absolutely going to be perfect. Here's what it says. It says, when the army considers zero defect mentality, a serious leadership failure because he said, on the battlefield, if you're expecting a military person on the battlefield, it says that person will not have the kind of success because it kills initiative. I don't know whether to shoot them or not. They are the enemy, but let me get a good look at their face before we endeavor to take them down. Uh-uh-uh. If it says you're the enemy and we're in a battle, guess what? You're gone. Now, here's something else. It's a, if you apply that to your life, zero defect life, he said you're going to be paralyzed by indecision. You know why? Because you don't know whether, I, I don't want to make a decision because I might make a mistake. You know, there are some people I do that believe have that in their own life at intersections right here in Lakeland, Florida. They can't make up their mind whether they want to go when the light has been green for about 10 seconds. It is Facebook all the way and the cell phone. They don't know whether they want to go right or go left. That, my friend, is absolutely zero defect mentality. They don't know which way to go. How many of you think you could tell them which way to go? Not where to go, which way to go. All right, you all with me? Here we go. He said, if you live your life that way and you expect to be perfect, you're going to have unresolved guilt that will paralyze you. Well, that's nothing new for us. You know what the Bible says? God's a wise God. There's no single person in all the earth who's always good and never sins. Who's all, no person who's always good and never sins. Turn to, you, turn to your neighbor and say, you ain't no good. Go ahead and tell him you want to say it. You're like a bag of potato chips. you you rotten through and through. You ain't no good. Okay, then. I like that theology, boy. I mean, that means I can live any way I want to because I ain't no good. No, no, no. That's what you did before you found Jesus Christ. James 3, verse 2, it says, none of us are perfectly qualified. You see it? We get wrong nearly every time we open our mouths. What if you had to do my job? Oh, Lord. If you ever find someone whose speech was perfectly true, you'd have a perfect person in perfect control of life. So Paul already says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if we claim to be sinless, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So how do you deal with you? How do you deal with those areas that might be a bit defective? How do you deal with in your life? You say, God, I want to be more like you, but I got this, 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 and this that really hinders me from having that smooth flow. How do you deal with that? And why don't we deal with those things? Here's a couple reasons. Because we've had them so long we become comfortable with them. We've had them so long, a defect that is so, let's say it's anger, and you, you just get angry at the drop of a hat, and nobody's ever really come up to you with a two before to help you change other than the Holy Spirit. You just get comfortable blowing your stack. 
People realize, well, they're just going to blow their stack. Well, guess what? What kind of glory and honor does God get out of that? You become comfortable with that. Number two, we've heard, uh, have a hard time dealing with our def- defects because we identify with them. I'm just a loser. I've always been a loser. You will be a loser until you decide, hey, you and God can do something about that. Well, let me give you something that's a little closer to home. You ever hear people say, I'm just, I'm scared, not afraid. Scared is yard talk. Afraid is lawn talk. I'm scared to fly. I never got that. They've never even been on an airplane, and yet they're scared to fly. It doesn't get it. But here's what happens. You say, well, I've flown once, and now I'm scared to fly. You know what will happen? You'll create a defect. You'll tell yourself, I'm afraid to fly. I'm scared to fly, et cetera, et cetera. And when you get on the airplane and you buckle up and they say, now the door has been closed and the seats need to be in upright position and the tray tables need to be up. All cell phone and technological equipment need to be on the off position. We're going to come through the cabin to be certain that we can lock the doors and get ready to fly. And you turn to your neighbors, I'm scared to death. You know why? You worked yourself into a defect. You became what you say you would be. That's a defect. That's a defect. Number three, it's hard to change because our defects have a payoff. You say, well, you know, nothing venture, nothing gain. Uh, It's a payoff. People don't do things they aren't rewarded for usually. And whatever is rewarded gets repeated. You can train a child in all the wrong ways. You know, come here, come here, son. You know, let them hear you cuss a little bit. You say, really? I've heard, I've heard families do that. Why? Because daddy did it, mama did it. Well, it's no wonder that we have a culture today of misguided individuals in so many years because there is no core. But let me give you an example. Here's mama or mother. Mama is yard talk. Mother is lawn talk. That's so sweet, mother. Mama. Y'all got it? So mom's got dinner ready. And she says, all right, everybody, come on in. It's time to eat. Okay, nobody came. All right, y'all, it's time to eat. I said, come on. Come on downstairs. Let's eat, everybody. Nobody comes. She says, walks to the door, hey, I told y'all to get down here right now. It is time to eat. And if you don't eat right now, you are not getting anything to eat. You know what her kids have trained her. They trained her because here's the deal, and she fell for it. You see, she determined that the only way to get them down was to yell. Was to yell when they didn't come the first time. When they come the second time, mom should have got in her car, took her apron off, and went to the mall and shopped. You know what? You see what I'm talking about? You see, you work yourself into that, and we're trained to do it. Here's the deal. If you're late, you're late. How many of you know somebody's just late to everything? I had a sister that was 30 minutes late to her own wedding. Unbelievable. She's here today. And she was late. Just kidding. But people are late. Do you know what what I'm talking about? 
I mean, unless they decide to change and say, is it important that you show up on time? Now, I'm not speaking to anybody in particular, but I did notice numerous of you come in after church started. But I'm just glad you're here. Amen? But the whole football team was here before it's time to start. But anyway, I'm not saying anything. But you get in the habit of being late. Unless somebody that's a nutcase like me says, hey, you know what? You ought to show up on time once in a while. How many understand? And so unless that's everybody, you know what you do. Hey, I'm comfortable with my defects. It's okay to be late. My daddy was late. My mama was late. Guess what? I guess I'm a late, I'm a late guy. You're a late bloomer. I'm just late. Let me move on here because I don't know if you're getting that or not. It's getting quiet. You'd think we're in a funeral home here for a moment. Help me out, football team. It's difficult to change hard ingrained defects in our life because Satan discourages us. You ever try to lose weight? How many try to lose weight? You know what? <laughs> I'm going to help you. Pizza you're eating has got rodents in it. <laughs> the, the peanut butter and jelly you're eating is no good for you. It's got dirt in it. Y'all with me? Sure. But you ever tried to do it, make a change and say, I want to do better? And Satan will discourage you and say, you tried it before and it didn't work and you'll fail again. You know? You'll fail again. You will. You will. You'll fail again because the enemy discourages all the time. You did it and it didn't work. You're just going to have to get better. I've got good news. I've got some answers for all of us here in the next few minutes. Here it is. Paul's writings, Ephesians 4, verse 21. Since you have heard all about Jesus and you have learned the truth that is in him, throw off your old evil nature and your former way of life, which is rotten through and through, full of lust and deception. Instead, there must be a spiritual renewal of your thoughts and your attitudes. You must put on a new nature because you are a new person created in God's likeness, righteous and holy and true. So put away all falsehood and tell your neighbor the truth because we belong to each other. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry for anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil. So we're going to dissect that and just rightly divide it. Number one, change requires learning the truth. Everybody in this room has some defect. Everybody in this room, whether we realize it or not, might have a sin that's in our lives that we practice on a regular basis that maybe no one else might know about. It might be hidden anger, resentment. It might be just extreme curiosity. Could be a number of things. Could be practicing things that you shouldn't practice. But sooner or later, you're going to have to say, God, that certainly cannot be your will. And so you're going to have to face it and tell the truth. Look in the mirror and say, am I living to the fullest of my ability as a Christ follower? Am I living in a way that brings pleasure to God or do I bring disappointment with him? Here's what he says in Ephesians 4.21. Since you've heard about Jesus, you have learned the truth that is in him. So we know that facing change and an opportunity and facing the truth is not found in a pill, it's not found on a couch, not found the psychologist, not found in another book. It's found in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I will convict you. I, I identify a need there. You know you need to work on. Yes, I know that you've told me you're sorry a dozen times. Yes, I know you've told me you're sorry 25 times. Yes, I know you've told me you're sorry 30 times. Let me tell you when you're in real trouble is when you don't ask God to forgive you anymore. So he says you face the truth about your finances. You spend too much. You're always going to be in a bondage 
in your finances, habits, talents, or the lack thereof. You see, behind every self-defeating behavior usually is a lie that we choose to believe. We're never going to get any better about airplanes and getting on airplanes until you decide, hey, let me do a little research. Four more planes stay up in the air than those that crash. And every time you get yourself in the problem, often it's because we've chosen to believe a lie. And you might ask yourself, what is it that I'm lying about to myself that I need to deal with? And how do I come to the understanding that Jesus said, I am the truth and the truth will set you free? 2 Timothy 3, he says, all scripture is inspired. It's useful to teach us, to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It straightens us out. It teaches us to do what's right. It's God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped for every good thing God wants us to do. Number two, change requires making choices. Got to make a choice. It's not just enough to want or desire change or even dream of change. You've got to wake up and say, with God's help, I'm going to do something about it. You have to have that plan, and usually that's internal. That's internal. I'm going to do it from an inside out. The question is, if you're making a choice to change something in your life and take a better step forward, how are you going to be better in six months from now? You have to know, unless that change is consistent and effective. I'm going to change, so I'm going to be stronger emotionally. I'm going to be stronger mentally. I'm going to be stronger physically. I'm got, you're never going to be physically healthy by accident or spiritually healthy by accident. It's going to take a resolution and a strong resolve in the heart of every individual. It will not happen. You have to lay aside those things, as we often hear, that seem to weight us down. Ephesians, Paul talks about that. Let's assume that there's a trapeze artist on this side up here, and there's a wire that goes across, and there's a trapeze artist on this side, and it's, it's pretty high. And this guy is on that bar that you swing out. You've seen him swing out. They let go and grab the other bar. So here's what he's going to do. He's got, or she, she's going to swing out here, about right here in the center, the other guy over here is going to do perfect timing and send the empty bar over so that when those two bars get close, she's simply going to let go of that bar and grab that bar, and on she goes. But what about the individual who goes out there and gets there and then says, I can't let go of this bar, and decides to reach up and grab the other bar and is suspended now in midair? And that's what we tried to do in our spirit man. We try to say, God, I won't hope for the future. I know swinging back is what I'm supposed to do. Swinging back brings me a, a closer resolve, but I just can't let go. Well, how long do you think a person can remain suspended with both arms this way before, guess what, splat? They're going to fall straight down. But it would have been so easy in the process of time. Swing across, let go, grab that one, and go there. You have forward movement, letting go of that which binds you up. So Ephesians 4.24, throw off the old evil nature in your formal way of life, which is rotten through and through. We have those natural inclinations of hang up. Then Paul says something. I want you to work out your own salvation. Here's what he says in Philippians 2.12. Continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose, to work out. How many of you go to the gym? Raise your hand. Join me. Raise your hand. You go to the gym. 
What do y'all call it over at Southeastern? Workout room? Okay. Let me go to the workout room, guys. There you go. How many love going to the gym? Come on, join me. You love going. You know that I love going. Look. So here it is, workout. What does that mean? That's a matter of discipline. That is a matter of saying, I have to work it out. Here's what he said, work out your own salvation. Here's what he says, working out your own salvation. Here's what it means mentally and intellectually. It means you understand the value of your salvation. You understand that, hey, without salvation, you are dead. You understand that without redemption, you do not have an eternal home in heaven. You come to understand that without salvation, that there is no hope for you eternally. You come to the realization that you cannot work for it or pay for it, that your redemption was free, but it is extremely valuable. Your salvation, you come to understand the value of what Jesus Christ did. And since that's what he says in that scripture, continue to work out your salvation, grasp it, understand, thank God for it, and live toward it. He says, when you begin to appreciate your salvation in the workout, it says this, the Holy Spirit will work in you. And God will give you the peace and give you the power and give you the anointing to understand what it really means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And the more that God works in you, the easier it is to say to that anger, hey, I don't need you anymore. The easier it is to say to that pornography, I don't need you anymore. The easier it is to say to that foul mouth, I don't need you anymore. The easier it is to say to that temper, I don't need you anymore. The easier it is to say to that arrogant attitude, I don't need you anymore. That smart mouth, I don't need you anymore. That bad tongue, I don't need you anymore. Why? Because God's working in you because you come to understand, hey, my salvation is important to me. It's important to me. As we understand and we grasp that, then we understand the power of what God means. Here's number three. It change requires new thinking, a different way of thinking. The Bible says, as a man thinks, so is he. It also says, out of the abundance of heart are the issues of life. You are and you become who and what you think you are, and whatever you feed your mind, whatever you let it rest upon, whatever you put it in, I want to tell you, it will affect your behavior either positively or negatively. If you want to change the way you feel and the way you act, you're going to have to change the way you think. I don't feel good. I just don't feel good. You say that all the time, pretty soon you won't ever feel good. Are you listening? But if you say, by the grace of God, working on my salvation, there is healing in my body. No matter how I feel, I'm going to believe, God, your healing anointing is resting in me, and I'm going to get better by the grace of God. It's a way if you think. That's what he says. I didn't write that. I wish I had. But it's right there. It's the word of the living God. I had a lady. I've heard those who have been around a while. Ask her, how you doing? I'm physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually exhausted. You just do that was the answer you're going to get. You didn't even want to go around her. You want to go around the person. How do you feel? I'll tell you what, I'm doing better than I've ever done, and things are going to get better, better and go beyond my wildest expectation. If you want change, here's what Ephesians 4.23, there must be a spiritual renewal of your thoughts and your attitude. We have to get a grip on it. If you care, every day, here's what we need. We need about 10 minutes in this book. 
10 books at 10 minutes in the book or looking at the phone or the iPad, but looking at the book and somebody that feeds me right there. Well, I don't know what it, I don't even know what it says. It feeds you. Your spirit man's smarter than you are. Your intellect may not grasp it, but your spirit man's eating it up. And that's how you in fact get better as we understand that often defects in our lives are strengths being misused. Strengths being misused. Philippians 2.5, let the same mind and attitude be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Number four, change requires a Holy Spirit. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need you. How many of you know that willpower doesn't work sometimes? It runs out of steam. Go ahead and go on your diet. Your willpower run out about the third day. Or maybe you'll get past one week into 10 days, and before you know it, somebody will invite you over to dinner. And they'll have a two-inch porterhouse and say, that one's yours. And they'll have about a pound and a half baked potato with sour cream, which is probably bad too. Butter and cheese and chives and everything else right there and said, this is yours. Oh, no, I can't. No, we fixed this. Our family paid for that big old baked potato and that big old pound and a half steak just for you. But I'm on a diet. You're going to last about two sentences. And don't forget the salad. And don't forget, don't forget the chocolate cake. I just helped you not eat the cake, but. Don't forget all that. And you know what you're going to do? Willpower. Willpower. You know what? Now what's going to say? Well, this is my splurge night. <laughs> Y'all with anybody with me out there? That's right. He says it's going to take the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.24, you must put on a new nature because you're a new person created in Christ's likeness, righteous, holy, and true. And that's an inside job. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. I'm going to be a more patient person. Go ahead and try it. Till somebody rocks your world. I'm going to be just, just a more humble person. That is correct. Somebody else pushes your button. I'm going to be more patient. You see, willpower. Here's what. Take a eucalyptus tree eucalyptus tree and you take some sacks and you tie oranges all over that tree and then you turn to that eucalyptus tree and say I put bags of oranges all around the limbs there now that's an orange tree that's about as nuts as it can be it doesn't make it a an orange tree and willpower will do that so what does it take holy spirit I need you God can make a mushroom in six hours takes him 60 years to make an oak tree Six hours mushroom, but 60. Number five, change requires honest fellowship and community. That's when we talk about, we talk about small groups. Get in one. Get hooked up to one. We all need help. We need that small group. Here's what he said, Ephesians 5, put away all falsehood. Tell your neighbor the truth because we belong to each other. In other words, have that relationship. Find somebody that you relate to. Find someone that you can enjoy, a small group you join because it's important not for you to learn from them, but for you to give them an opportunity to learn from you. Paul writes in Galatians 6, by helping each other with your troubles, you truly obey the law of Christ. Community, it's all about community. That's why we come to church. Number six, change requires overcoming temptation. How many of you, come on now. 
We're about to wrap it up. You're slowing down on me. How many have ever been tempted? That's not good enough. I'm going to ask it one more time. How many have ever been tempted? Some of you tempted not to raise your hand and you fell in. How many has ever given in to temptation? More than once. Okay. We all see how, see how messed up we are. How dysfunctional we are. What do we do? Temptation is there. In every area of our lives, change requires over. How do we do it? How do we do that? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, through engaging in the Word of God, through fellowship, through telling the truth to ourselves and someone else, sharing it, and then letting God do something spectacular. That's how it works. You say, I don't believe all that. I don't have time for all that. Well, you're going to have a lot of time in eternity. It's important for you to get it right here and now. Here's what he says, Ephesians 4.26. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a mighty football, uh, foothold to the devil. I'm sorry, you had an influence on me, coach. <laughs> Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. How many has ever said, I have never violated that scripture? Mm -hmm. You and your little spouse, you have a little disagreement. How do you know she's up? How many of you men know when your little woman? I know some of you hate it. It's the only reason I say it. How many of you know when your wife is a little upset at you? Guys, it's hard to raise your hand. How many of you guys know you got a girlfriend that she's upset with you? Oh, yeah. How do, what, it's just like, you know, she doesn't talk. You walk up and put your, hey, darling, she stiffens up. And you know what you do? You train her. Because here's what you say next. What's wrong? <laughs> What's wrong? You just ask that question one more time. You know what? You're, you're training her to stiffen up and not tell you. What you ought to do is say, woman, get over there and sit down. <laughs> no, no. I mean, really. No, I can't believe I said that. <laughs> I tried it. It doesn't work. <laughs> Come here. I mean, if we went back to the Old Testament, well, anyway, we won't go back there. I like the New Testament. Amen? What's wrong? She folds her arms. She gets quiet. She goes on to bed. Hello? Puts on her mother's house coat. I mean, you know you're in big trouble then, buddy. One of those wool jobs, cotton all the way up to her neck. You're going to gauge it. You know what to do. You take your foot. If you've got a king-size bed, it might be a little stretch for you, but you kind of move your foot over to where her foot is if you can find it. And if you touch her foot and she doesn't move her foot, you might have a chance and let me just tell you this. You can quote all the scripture you want to. You know the Bible says, babe, that the sun shouldn't go down on our wrath. She doesn't care about God. She doesn't care about the wrath. Here's what she cares about. You're going to suffer. <laughs> and if she moves her foot, you're going to have a long night. 
And let me tell you something else. Unless she's had an endowment of the divine anointing of the Holy Ghost, when you wake up in the morning, ain't going to be a whole lot of change. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I know that's yard talk. That's yard talk. That's reality. So what do you do? Here's what he says. He says, if you, if you understand that in your life, overcoming temptations, don't let the sun go around. Here's what he's saying. If you mistake, because here's the beauty of God. He's not human. He's supernatural. One I'm sorry to him is enough. One sincere apology to him is enough. He's not going to hold you out. Just, God, I am so sorry. I made a mistake. I did this stupid thing again. You say, well, you might say this is the tenth time. Know what I read. If he forgets or if he forgives, he forgets. Every time you ask forgiveness is a brand new time. Because here's what God knew. Because of sin, we all fall in to temptation. But here's what happens. When you fail to say, I'm sorry. When you fail to ask forgiveness. When you fail to try to bend the breach. In World War II, in the South Pacific, the Marines were charged with the responsibility of going to the islands there and establishing a beachhead. The Marines would rush in. They would establish a beachhead. Sometimes it would be 1,000 feet wide and 1,000 yards or so long. And when they established the beachhead, they had a footing on that island. Then the Army would come in and take the rest of the island. And what he's saying here, don't allow the enemy to have a mighty foothold. Don't let him have a beachhead in your life that the enemy can come in and begin to work and conquer your life to the degree you lose happiness, that bitterness and resentment begins to grow. And after a while, you don't even say you're sorry anymore. And then you're ruled by worry or fear or anxiety or you're ruled by fear and loneliness. You're ruled by pain. You're ruled by remorse. All of those things. Why should any Christian believer have to be ruled by those things when God has said, get in that word and let it feed you, let it lift you up, and don't let the temptations of the enemy. You admit your mistakes. You realize, God, without you, I am done. But with you, all things are possible. For he is a God who has the ability to make all things new. Amen. Would you stand? Let's give the Lord a clap offering. Would you, would you do that? <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for all of your goodness and your mercy. We thank you for your word. We heard it. And now we have to become responsible for what we have heard. We can never hear the word of God without some action being taken. We can never do that. We either get better, draw closer, or we drift further away. That's just the way it is. Right now, the old carnal man will fight us all the way, but there is a voice in the spirit, man, that's a humble, sweet, and tender voice that always pulls us toward the right thing. 
that always pulls us toward getting on equal footing, always pulls us toward eternal victory that can only come through Jesus Christ. So we know that all of us are hurting in some area. All of us are fighting some challenge. We know that. There are some that are much greater than others. But God, if we wake up every day depending on you, working out that salvation, there'll be no temptation that will ever come our way, but what you'll not give us the ability if we're working out our salvation to cause us to rise up and to be able to overcome. God, we praise you and we thank you. Just in case there's some of you right now in this room and some of you listening online, I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer, everybody together. Would you do that? Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe you died for me. I believe by faith. If I confess my sins, you will forgive me. I am going to trust you and give you my heart. I realize that you only want the best for me. Today, I have been blessed. But today, I'm giving you my best. I'm giving you my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. The Bible says in James 5, 14, any sick among you? Any of you that need prayer? Any of you that are carrying a burden that's greater? Any of you facing temptation? Just come on down. Let them anoint you with oil and pray the prayer of faith. Send James. That's his way. I can tell you, if you take the time to let God touch you, he will take the time to touch you. If you prayed that prayer just now, you cannot be and should not be a closet creature. That is, it's time if you're ever going to come out. Yesterday, there were a group of individuals in Boston Commons. I've been there many times. In that center area, I've been in that pavilion right there about a hundred and they were there exercising free speech but of course and I'll talk about that tonight but about 30 plus thousand people showed up to say there's a certain group that we don't want to show up so we're coming in number 30 to 40 thousand people you know what the antidote to that is if my people which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. I will heal their land. Amen? I will heal their land. I'm telling you, that's God's way, but we don't do it. Right now, God's way is, if you feel the tug to come to the altar, just slip there right now. Come on down. I'm going to give benediction in just a moment. Here we go. You come if God moves you, please.